afternoon or evening, depending where you're listening to. Um, it's me, Dave Witchley, from the uh, Bobblers, and we've got a couple of new guests on tonight. Um, you may know a couple of them, from if, certainly if you're on Twitter, um, uh, but we've got Owen Parks and Andy Mitchell, so welcome, lads. Cheers. Cheers, mate. And uh, by all means, what we always do, um, we may have a couple of people that may have not looked at you up on Twitter, and it's their lot, but hopefully now they'll be connected with you. So we'll start by means of a couple of introductions. Um, firstly, over to you, uh, Owen. Um, just introduce yourself, mate. Just uh, your affiliations with Everton, and um, and just for anyone that's listening, your Twitter handle. Hello, everyone. I'm sure a lot of you might know me by now, but I'm Owen Parks. Owen Parks one two three on Twitter. Free of Everton on Instagram. If you're listening through the link, I will send on my Instagram page. And I am. If you don't know me, uh, I'm a student sports journalist. I um I, I try to write on my our tactics blog about different teams, different um well it was it was it will eventually go on to recruitment and finance if I if I can find the information on that and just anything that's sports related or mostly football related that I find interesting. Um I'm also an Evans fan, hence why I'm on an Evans fans podcast. Um, I go to Everton games. Well, when before lockdown, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And I'm sure if you don't know me already through Twitter, you'll um learn a bit more about me. And yeah, I'd just like to to, to reinforce what Owen said there. I, I, you know, we've got to know Owen through Twitter. Uh, Owen, despite the fact that he he's just 19 years of age, right, with, with some really good maturity. Um. Uh, and the fact that you can really, you know, hold up your opinions and add some real value to, to discussions online says a lot, Owen, for being 19 years of age. And with the commitment that you're showing and you're putting yourself out there, and, uh, you know, I've got no doubt in our minds as such that you'll, you'll go places. Um, Thank if, if anyone hasn't, have a look at Owen's links on his, on his Twitter because um, there's a couple of really good blogs on there. Um, yeah, about seven. And you've got, you've got. I think you've done one recently, haven't you? Um, you you started moving away from everything. You've done one on Ancelotti specifically. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. The, I've done, I'll I'll let people know which ones I've done. Um, I want. I've started out doing um Premier League only teams for now, as the Premier League starts and the Bundesliga and the Spanish league finish. I will venture into reviewing some um of their teams, but so far I've I've done an Everton Everton and Carlo Ancelotti one where. I looked at Everton's Everton's tactics, um, how Everton have maybe not pressed as much under Carlo Ancelotti as they did under Marco Silva, but they they're more smart tactically. They defend a little bit deeper and go a bit more direct. But that was as a result more of what um, Duncan Ferguson had instilled into the team, and Carlo Ancelotti sort of continued it. Whether or not he will continue with that remains to be seen. As for non-Everton ones, um, I. If you do follow me on Twitter, you'll know the full appreciation I have for Sean Dyche. So I did Sean Dyche and Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> that was a weaker one to start off with, without um, visuals, but I've done that. I also did um, Crystal Palace and Roy Hodgson, and um, the job Roy Hodgson's done at Crystal Palace. I've also done Wolves and Nuno Espirito Santo, um, Southampton and Ralph Arsenal. 
Um, Wofford and Nigel Pearson. Um, I've done others once, haven't I? Um, there's a, I'm sure there's more off the top of my head. They're the only ones I can remember. Well, uh, okay. I mean, and Sheffield United and Chris Wilder. That that's diverse enough. They're all totally different playing styles. To be fair, um, yeah. and and it is a wide variety. Um, but uh, quite interesting actually because we'll discuss later on in the episode about how we approach the game at the weekends. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of the teams that that, that have played Liverpool this season have been successful. Certainly, Nigel Pearson that you'll know a lot about. Obviously, Ancelotti that you've written about. Yeah, Diogo Simeone that, that that actually used a pretty similar tactic that, that, that both of their managers did as well. So, um, you'll probably add some really good value how we preview that game and how we should approach it. Um, so uh, thanks for that, Owen. Um, and uh, on to uh, a lot I've I've got to know well actually I didn't know at all. And then <laughs> our, our, uh, we were both going for the fans forum at the time, and uh, uh, we got speaking to me, Andy, and. And we've stayed in touch really loosely ever since. Um, yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, I wish I was half as interesting as Owen, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, he, yeah. he's certainly got a lot a lot, a lot, lot going on there to uh, to talk about, tactically particularly. Uh, and I have, I've had a look at a couple of his blogs, of his blogs in the past. And uh, I don't tend to think half as deeply about about what I see in front of me. It might be that I've been for a couple of beers before and or I've got the kids with me. I'm not sure what, what it is that distracts me uh, far too much. I don't concentrate that much. But uh, I suppose my involvement, as you said, for, for me and you, it was uh, we came across each other for the with the applications for the fans forum. Um, obviously, I'd been aware of the, the bobblers with the, uh, the Moise Keane banner particularly. I think that's when I first came across yourselves. But for me, uh, I'd like to think I'm a fairly bog-standard match-going Evertonian. Um, but I've got a, an affiliation with a couple of, of blood cancer charities, bizarrely. And I, I've done a lot of work with Everton. I've done a lot of work trying to raise awareness on Twitter, uh, particularly with some takeovers of Neville Southall's account, yeah. of all people. And uh, I think that's probably where people might might have seen my story over the years. Uh, they're probably sick of seeing it by now, but Unfortunately, it's one of those things that doesn't go away, and I keep needing to raise awareness. So it's uh, it's that's t- tends to be what I spend most of my time doing on Twitter. Uh, firstly, Andy, never say sorry for doing a good cause. No one will, ever, <laughs> no one, no one will ever, ever get sick of you pushing what is an unbelievable cause, and you've been unbelievable at what you've, you've done. Um, I say it's simple enough. Sending some tweets, isn't it? It's it's trying to make sure that you reach out to the right people at the right time. And uh, as, as I've no doubt we're going to go on to, to mention, obviously we've got uh, a pretty sad case at the moment um, within the fan base with, with, with Gary Stevens and his son. So uh, it's, it's, it's a very subject, a subject that's very close to home, I think. Yeah, we certainly made uh, and we will come on to that uh, actually next. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of where, you, where, do you, where do you tend to sit when you go to the game, Andy? I've uh, been in the top balcony now, season ticket holder in the top balcony for, oh, I don't know how long we've been up there, probably about 20 years in the balcony, maybe. And um, who do you tend to go with? Graduated from the street end, <laughs> as, as you tend to. Um, started in the enclosure back in the 80s uh, as a kid, stood on a crate down at the front, and then uh, on into the into the street end for the glory years, and then... More lately, as I say, as you get older, 
graduate up to the uh, to the top balcony. So basically, Owen's being punished the worst. It's an Evertonian. I've probably been punished near <laughs> enough, but I see ninety five just about, and you're all right, basically. But yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm the lucky one. I would love to sit in the top bal- the top balcony, by the way. Just to see the view of the game in that way. It's well for Incredible. someone for someone like you with an interest in tactics. Yeah. I, I think you, you you'd love it because that's that is what I like most about it. I, I actually sit on the back row of the balcony as well. And yeah. I, I, I do that deliberately because one, you can stand up for most of the game anyway. Um, but two, you you really can see the the patterns of play developing. Yeah. Uh, for both teams, and I perhaps don't think about it as much as maybe I should do. But uh, it's it makes looking at the game a lot more interesting when you can kind of see the tactics playing out in front of you. Um, well, that's really lucky because all I've got is a fellow who sits in front of me who calls Seamus Coleman 60 and a bloke to the <laughs> right who hates you. So do you know what? You're, you're the real winner here, Andy. Happy days. You, know, you, you miss the characters of the game the most, don't you? There's a fella, there's a fella about two rows in front of us in the paddock uh, we're about halfway, halfway in the paddock, and um, he he pretty much knows every single referee and their performance. The <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all got an opinion on their performance. Oh, mate, and and not only that, he knows the linesman's names, and I I can't <laughs> how, how he gets it, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I mean he does his research, but he doesn't he doesn't let them rest for ninety minutes. Uh, but. I bet he doesn't. How does anyone know a linesman? <laughs> well, not only that, he knows the linesman's performance from the, the week before and what they got wrong and what they didn't. So I'll never. I can get behind that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, everyone just waits. It's a miracle if he gets past five minutes without going off his head at the linesman. It's a miracle. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're missing others in the first to say, aren't we? From all our different. Yeah, I think the, the last time I was there, it was the uh, it was the sleep out. Yeah, it was yeah. just about a week before lockdown. I think it was. Uh, I took part in the sleep out again this year, <laughs> and uh, and that was the last time we were there. So it's a bit of a shame. The and, uh, game with my last. I don't know. Well, yeah, and what a time that was. The last minute of that was probably the worst of the season as well. Oh, and it was right up there anyway. Yeah, I, thought, I almost forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I had until I seen replays of it over the last couple of days. <sighs> Yeah, oh, God, st- stop reminding us. Never in the back next week, so we'll have some fresh memories to be fuming about. So we will have to. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um. So uh, going back to, to to what you were talking about, um, you know the the bow marrow and the TKMS anti act. Yeah. None of us have got a clue what that's about. What is it? Uh, in a nutshell, uh, I spend a lot of time trying to recruit. Uh, new donors to the bone marrow, or, or as it's now called, the stem cell registers. Now, there's two in the UK, one operated by a charity called Anthony Nolan and one operated by DKMS.UK. Um, they both work together, but they are separate charities. If somebody has a blood cancer such as leukaemia, that's, that's the most commonly known one, so I'll, I'll talk about leukaemia. If someone has uh, an illness like that, it's possible that their only chance of survival is to have a bone marrow or a stem cell transplant, as it's called. Um, now, really sadly, back in the mid-90s, I... Uh, no, sorry, 2000... I don't know where I'm getting the 90s. 2000. Back in 2006, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I've got that written down here, so I know it's 2006. Yeah, <laughs> 2006. 
I read an appeal on the front of the Echo um, saying, can you save Ella or Sam? And it turns out Ella and Sam were a young brother and sister who lived in Southport who both had an immune deficiency disorder and sadly both needed a stem cell transplant to save their lives. And I just thought the whole thought of that was horrendous to have two children that potentially um, could go on to, to, to pass away. It really struck a chord. And my wife, had, we'd not long had our first child, who coincidentally is called Ella. Um, and had she been a boy, she would have been called Sam. And we've actually since gone on to, to have a boy. So we, we've got Ella and we've got Sam, just the same as this other family. So straight away, my wife and I joined the, the bone marrow register as it was then. Um, and it used to involve a blood sample and things like that. It's, it's no longer like that. It's, it's a lot more straightforward. Now, sadly, we were never a match for either of those. Um, and, and really, sadly, both children have, have since gone on to pass away, unfortunately, because they were never able to find that, that perfect match. Um, but then out, out the blue, in 2008, I received a letter from Anthony Nolan saying that they believed I was a match for somebody, for a patient that they uh, were searching for a match for. So all anonymously, I underwent the process of, uh, of going through a stem cell donation and I think in the lead up to it, I was I was terrified when, when it first dawned on me. I thought, what have I signed up for here? Um, and then as the information got drip fed through to me, I realised that it's absolutely nothing. It's a doddle. And it, in essence, you, you, your bones are your, your stem cell factory, if you like. And they make stem cells, which then run throughout your body, fighting infection and fighting illness as, as required. And in the run-up to, to a stem cell donation, once it's been decided that you are a match, for five days, I had two injections, and they were a hormone injection, essentially, and they made my bones produce excess stem cells. So my body was flush with stem cells that I didn't need. I went off down to London, uh, all taken care of, all paid for and everything, off down to London to a hospital in uh, Harley Street, as it was then. I think you can you now do it in Sheffield as well. So a needle goes into one arm, the blood's taken out, it goes to a cell-separating machine, and they remove the stem cells, the excess stem cells that my body didn't even need. And then the rest of the blood is returned through a needle in your other arm. So it's a question of, of lying in a bed, really, with both arms out, a needle in each arm, a bit like giving blood, but you're also getting it back at the same time, if that makes sense. And I sat watching the telly and chatting away, just talking. And it went on, mine went on, probably for about four hours on the first day. And it turned out when they'd done a count at the end, they didn't have sufficient cells. So I stayed in a hotel overnight and then I'd done the same thing again the following day. And after that, back home on the train, it was my wife's birthday. So shot back home and then went out that night. And that was it. I didn't know what had happened to the stem cells, where they'd gone or anything else. And then... I got an update about six months later, maybe, from Anthony Nolan telling me that um, the stem cells have been transplanted successfully. And as far as they were aware, they were, they were, the patient was still doing okay. Um, and then two years had passed in total. I received a card um, saying, Dear Donor, because obviously at this point, everything's still anonymous. It just said, Dear Donor, just to let you know, I'm now two years and four, four months post-transplant. Uh, can't thank you enough for what you did, etc., etc., And that set the ball rolling then. And it turns out my stem cells had been transplanted into a guy 
who was around the same age, I think he was about 38 at the time, he'd had leukaemia and a stem cell transplant was his last opportunity uh, for life, in in all honesty. Um, Thankfully, the transplants have been a success and I now know we're we're no longer anonymous. I've now met Paul, as as he's called, and uh, a big Chelsea fan, unfortunately. (laughs) But... uh, I've been down to London. I've, I've met his his wife. I've met his mum and dad, his sister, his niece, nephews. To, as you can imagine, they're all very, very grateful and very appreciative. But as I've said since it happened, it kind of had nothing to do with me. I was just the, the right person in the right place, and that right place was was on the register. Whether whether the the transplant was a success was down to I don't know a bit of magic, a bit of science, the doctors. I don't know what it's down to, but. If you're not on the register, that's never going to happen for you. And somebody somewhere could could well need your your stem cells. So I've spent the last twelve years banging on at anyone I can find to uh, right. to try and encourage more people to to find out for themselves to to join the register, have a look at it. And now it's it's, it's even easier. I'm saying like when I joined, it was a blood uh, blood sample. Now it's some mouth swabs. It's not even it's not even a coronavirus test. It's easier than that. Yeah. It's uh, so so the idea now people would go on to uh, either anthonynolan.org if they are aged between sixteen and thirty, but anyone who's aged between eighteen and fifty five can go to dkms.uk and you fill in a short questionnaire, medical questionnaire, uh, and then they will send you some mouth swabs. You swab the cheeks of your mouth for thirty seconds. For once, what both you do, both cheeks, thirty seconds each. Pop them back in the post, and send it off. And then, in due course, you'll receive like a like a donor card, if you like, like a little credit card saying that you're now on the register. And that's it. You've done all you can possibly do. And quite worryingly, for for every thousand people that are on the register, only one person will ever statistically only one will ever go on to be a match for somebody in their lifetime. Staggering. So. Staggering. So the odds are really against you ever being a match. But if you're not there, you're never going to be. Yeah. And as I say, we've had appeals locally, which have been very close to home, particularly in the run-up to the derby. I was thinking about it. We've had cases at Liverpool and at Everton where, sadly, people have either not, not found a match or the match that they found was not a perfect match. And if you imagine it, what, what the, the doctors will do, they will... They try to find what they call a 10 out of 10 match, which is a perfect match. Um, but if after it gets to a stage where they've been unable to find somebody like that worldwide, they'll then accept a 9 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10. But they come with underlying problems and potential complications. And sadly, in the cases that we've had locally, uh, where both clubs have been affected, the, the transplants have not gone on to be a full success uh, and people have lost their lives. And... I just think it's it's something that if people are aware of how easy it is and how little it affects the, the donor, but the impact it can have on the, the, the potential recipient, I just think it's a no-brainer. I just don't understand what will put people off because I see people with tattoos going, oh, no, I don't like needles. Anything. You've got tattoos. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't dream of it. I'm far too, far too scared <laughs> to get a tattoo. I wouldn't get my ears pierced because it'll hurt. But the idea of just getting a needle and and it potentially going on to save someone's life for me is, uh, as I say, it's a no-brainer. And then 
we've had the sad case finding out last week about uh, about Gary Stevens, his, his young son. So yeah, I, I mean, Andy. Ironically, I, I had a close friend and work, Phil, and um, he was the same. He 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 unfortunately um, had leukemia, and he he basically appeals to over two three hundred people. Really brave him at the time, um, and and decided right. I've got two choices. I either do nothing, or I, I spend the rest of my life pushing to make things better. And I think it was deep yeah. coming to our way. You sent you the pictures at the time, actually. That's right, yeah, you did. Yeah. And I, I couldn't do it because of an underlying health condition or disability that I've got. Uh, right. I was on the list, but I, I, I basically uh, spent a couple of days signing people up on a stall. Um, and, you know, he inspired me because, you know, he was potentially, he didn't have a match and he needed a match to survive. I, I yeah. just, just, just disappeared off, but he wanted to come into work every day to make a difference. And he was, yeah, but that's and that's that's it until it until it affects us in some way or somebody reaches out and and it explains it to us or it affects us closely. Yeah. We've got no reason to do it. Why would yeah? Why would it's not something we don't all sit at home and think right? What can I possibly do for other people? Yeah, and I think that's where the awareness. That's where the likes of Twitter and as I say with Neville Southall, he's been absolutely amazing. Um, particularly over that the last twelve months, he, he allowed me access to his Twitter account on a number of occasions. And we, and we know that we've managed to recruit in excess, we don't know the exact number, but in excess of 700 people joined the register for, for following them takeovers. Yeah. And then, and more amazing, the, the, like they've done that, and I don't know whether any of them will ever go on to donate. But somebody who followed me on Twitter also worked with a kidney donation. Yeah. And she got in touch with Neville and said, I'd like to use your, your account as a takeover to appeal for uh, living kidney donors. Yeah. So it turns out Big Nev agreed to that. And and this lady did a takeover and a guy listened to it, joined the register, has since gone on and has donated a kidney to a baby. And the baby is now alive what? as a direct result. And if 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 Neville Southall wasn't such a legend that would never have happened because this guy would never have heard it, would never have seen it online. And so I think the power of, of whether it's a podcast or whether it's Twitter or, or social media, especially if you can reach out to someone and you get someone with, with the likes of the appeal that Neville Southall's got, yeah, then the results can, can be amazing if people just take a few minutes. Just so, For me, just put yourself in someone else's shoes for a couple of minutes is, is what I'd, I'd ask people to do. And you've got Gary Stevens now out in Australia and he's got a three-year-old who potentially is going to need a stem cell transplant to save his life. And without it, obviously, the, the, the outcomes are unbearable to think about. And it could take someone listening to this podcast or seeing it on Twitter, it could take them five minutes of their time to fill in the questionnaire, join the register. They may never hear anything ever again. But there's just that one chance that they could be someone's perfect match. There's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no logic why I was a match for uh, Paul from London. We've got absolutely no biological connection. Well, we have now because his blood group has now changed to mine because my stem cells have gone in, if you like, and um, and taken over his. 
if that makes sense. So he's now got my blood group, which he didn't previously have. And I'm, so I suppose it is life changing. I mean, I've read uh, you know articles, you know, a few months ago um, in relation to yeah. Um, and I said that you've gone from working with cars. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Basically, yeah, I was at the time. I I was I worked on a production line in Vauxhalls, and I'd been there. Well, at that point, I must have been there ten years when this all started. And as a direct result of going through the process, and and then I kind of had one of them life's too short moments. Yeah, to be doing a job that yeah, I'd been there twelve years. I dated it for twelve years, and I, I kind of realised I can't carry on doing this. So I started spending time going into schools on behalf of Anthony Nolan and giving talks to sixth formers, explaining how, as they left school, they could make that informed decision to become uh, stem cell, blood or organ donors and go on to, to, to save a life themselves. And I loved it. I realised I loved spending time in school. And in 2010 then, I walked out of Oxhalls for the last time and uh, went and done a de- an education degree. And then I've since done a PGCE and I'm now working as a teacher. Um, so it's very much life-changing from my point of view. And obviously for Paul, he's now, he's, he's, he's living his life. He's going skiing every year. He's, he's having a great time. So it's, uh, it's a bonus all round. Inspirational, mate. And if you look at Evertonians, you... you, you... Evertonians, I always say that they're a different type of person and you saw what one an Evertonian is. It's never too late to make a change. And I, I, you know, it, Absolutely. It's an inspiration to hear, mate. Um, I say, for, for anyone who's thinking about doing it, even if, because we, we have case, yeah, obviously have cases when the transplant do, doesn't, doesn't turn out successfully. And I, I kind of, I've always said, I don't take the credit for the, for the transplant working. What I take the credit for was it was putting my hand up in the first place and saying, yeah, I'll do it. If it works, then brilliant. If if it doesn't, I, I can't feel any blame. Do you know what I mean? Because it, it, it's not my fault it didn't work. If it didn't, if it didn't join the register, it definitely wouldn't have worked. So, um, so, so it's, it's that, that's the key. It's, it's people actually looking at it for themselves and putting themselves in someone else's shoes and thinking, do you know what? If that was us, if that was my son or my younger brother, I'd be desperate for people to join. I'd be telling everyone how easy it is. Well, it is that easy. So what, what I want people to do is have a look for themselves, think about it, and then consider joining the register. And imagine, let's just imagine in, in all realms of, of, you know what I mean? It's, it's very much imagination. But imagine someone went on to be a perfect match for Gary Stevens, lad, of all people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I went on to, to say, yeah. like, it'd, be, it'd just be incredible. And I'd, I'd take more pride from something like that where we found a match for someone than I would doing it myself because it, it's so sort of it's kind of embarrassing when people you you're saying their inspiration and all that 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 makes it a little bit embarrassed because <laughs> it, it's so straightforward. The scouts thing that isn't it, do you know what I mean? But it it is a big thing what you've done. It yeah, I'm I am i am sure to well certainly to Paul, he he makes a point of saying that to the, the guy who got the stem cells and his mum. But um to me, I, I sat in a bed one, and I, I've said on like you've probably seen it on record. I've said the hardest part of it was watching cricket because uh, there was no footy on. It was August. There was no footy on, and I, I sat in a bed in this hotel in this hospital, and I had to sit and watch a test match. 
that? Dominic Cork must have been giving it a, a lash about that as well. He must have been still looking oh, it, like ever. Uh, it was England and South Africa, I don't know that much. That's all I think. <laughs> but it was tedious. That was the hardest part of it. Um, two questions for you. If someone's listening to this now, I'm going to firstly say to them, it's, you know, it's, it's easy. It's that accessible. You can make a massive difference by just doing something seamlessly easy to yourself. Where do yeah, you go to do it? So I'm listening and I'm thinking, I want to do this now. I've really been inspired by Andy, which I'm sure people are. Where did he go? How did he do it? Okay. So your first port of call, if, as I said, you're between 16 and 30, you go to www.anthonynolan.org and you can fill in the questionnaire online and then they'll send you their swabs. If you don't want to use Anthony Nolan, you can use dkms.uk. And again, that's for people between 18 and 55. So I would imagine we've got a massive fan base between 30 and 55. Uh, and that's where I would have to go now. Uh, I'd definitely have to go through them. Uh, but it doesn't matter which one you join. Okay, they're both the same. They both search the same worldwide database. So it's, it's not a question of if I join them, do I have to join them? You just join one or the other. Don't go to both because you're incurring costs for both charities then. Uh, so go to one or the other, fill in the questionnaire, and then when they send you the swabs, you swab them, you pop them back in the post, send them back, and you've done everything that you can possibly do at that point. But only do it if you're sure. If you're sure it's something that you would go through with, because what I'd hate is the idea that someone does it because uh, it's Gary Stevens and it's the run-up to the derby and we get all passionate and we, we, we love Everton and we love everything to do with us. And then they're found to be a match for someone and they think, oh, what did I do that for? No, I don't want to do it. Imagine someone getting a call to say, we think we found you at a match and then someone bails and says, no, that's not for me. Imagine how that would feel. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you if you had one message to, to say, what would it be to anyone listening now? And I think well, that's... I think it's that, yeah. Uh, I think it's only do it if, if you're sure. But please, just, just remember, there's nothing to fear. It's it's a really straightforward process. It's not like this old um, operation that people used to imagine it was. In 90% of cases, it's just like I've explained it. In that, that other 10%, um, where the stem cells have to be taken a different way, it, it, it involves a general anaesthetic. So you're asleep for it, and the stem cells are withdrawn from your pelvis um, through a needle. You're asleep. You then wake up, and then you go home. It's, it's, again, still incredibly straightforward, but that 10% chance does involve a general anaesthetic. But in 90% of cases, it's just like I said, a really long blood donation, essentially. That's that's what it amounts to. And I'm going to give a quick quick finishing line there. If you're listening, do me. Don't, don't, don't consider, you know, don't, don't, like, like Andy was saying there, if, if you're listening and you can do it, let's do it. We, we, we're Evertonians, we, we do what's right when it's right, at the right time. If you're physically able to do it, do it. Thanks, Andy, for that. And, um, you know, you're an inspiring fellow. Whether you like to wear it or not, you are, mate. <laughs> no, thanks for the opportunity, because I say every chance I get, I try to, to, to sort of inform people and, and make sure they don't wait until it affects their family, because it's, it's ridiculously common, unfortunately. To be honest with you, We've got Not thousands of people working on my work and listening to you today. 
I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna link into it after this podcast, and we're, we're gonna get that message out to it's my business as well. Spot on, love it. Thanks. I'll put it. Can I, if I could just um, say something about? It. I've got a Everton page on Instagram with quite a few followers. If you give me a link. I'll put throw a link. Superb, yeah, definitely. Oh, and I'll, I'll tie up with you after this. There you go. Straight, yeah, away, you, you know, we we reached out further, further than you was off without. Um, so it's good. Um, let's absolutely. Make, let's make a difference together, as we always do. All together, yeah. With Everton slogan, and it, it it's not just a slogan; it's it's the way we are as as fans. Um, Brilliant. So. We've got a small matter moving on to the next week. <laughs> Sunday, a thing called the Merseyside Derby. Um, so, Sunday the 21st, uh, 1900 hours. Uh, and it's now been confirmed, obviously, at Goodison Park. I don't think any of us will propose that it's going to be anywhere near what we're used to. In fact, it's going to be the first Merseyside Derby without fans being present. Um, it is what it is. You know, it, I've been quite vocal and the bobble has been quite vocal against football starting up again without fans and the health implications. But right, it is what it is. Let's talk about how it's going to look. Um, so what we've seen today is an announcement of a global Goodison. So you can now send in pictures and videos from all over the world. Um, but I think we need to embrace that. You know, it's, it's not a local product. It's, it's about the wider TV audience. Um, and unfortunately, all the local lads that go to the game, it, we're going to have to watch it on telly, whether you like it or not. Health's more important. We need to make sure that we stay at home. We're not turning up outside the grounds. Um, we're not breaching the recommendations the government's are saying, and we need to do the right thing. Um, and there's also been a thing called Blue Beats, which is basically blues can suggest music that they play at half time. I don't know what you lads are thinking, uh, but I'm suggesting that we play YMCA on loop. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. I'm not going to argue. A quick one. A quick one. I don't really get the, the reference with the Liverpool thing and that. What can yeah, basically, there was there was a video that went up, uh, Owen, uh, from, I think it was like an Irish red. Um, and, uh, I think, right, okay. obviously, it was one of these where... Obviously, us blues are lifelong blues, aren't we? We know everything to do with Everton and all the ins and outs, you know, of the Ducks' arse. We know what COYB means, we know what um, UTFT means. Um, but they misread um, You'll Never Walk Alone, so they thought it was YNFAA. What, sorry, YNFA. YMCA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so YMCA, right. apologies. Um, so they they put they they fit they basically put a little bit of a blog up online and then finished off and all all the reds that are listening YMCA. <laughs> oh, it was murder! Right, thank you. it really was. So it's basically caught on now, and uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's got a whole new meaning. So that, there's a lot of suggestions gone into the fans forum there about uh, you know about the YMCA elements, uh, but. YMCA has become obviously prevalent now for, for the Reds abroad. Um, so, yeah, YMCA, let's get it all loop at half time. Um, what, what, what do you, do you lads reckon? Like, I'll start with Owen because um, I'll give you a breather, Andy, because you, you're passionate talking there. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts, Owen, on, on how it's going to look? 
For me, I've been watching a lot of the Bundesliga games and they've sort of been a 50-50. Some of them have looked like worse than pre-season games. I don't know if any of you remember that pre-season game we played a couple of years ago in Holland on the AstroTurf. It was worse yeah, than that, dear. some of them. But some of them, but some of them have been surprisingly all right. Um, it, it depends if you're into the game as well. Sometimes some games are better than others. But I just think as Everton fans, we we you said before Evertonians are different, and in some ways that is absolutely right. There's some things other clubs will be able to pass off in the stands and on the ter- and like like the um, speakers and that that Everton fans will just not accept. So I think as a club, we'll have to look at something a bit more focused towards Everton in terms of how we approach the new look Goodison. I don't think we can just do some generic Premier League agreed. This is we'll have sky piping noise and we'll have sky cutouts on in the standards. I just don't think that'll wash with Everton fans. I think if it in order for it to work and to build up some kind of I can't say atmosphere because there'll be no one there, but to build up some sort of presence and for the people at home and for the players to give them a psychological lift. I think you're looking at something, an internal kind of, well, do, what do Everton fans want? Do Everton fans want this? What what do they want different? Etc, etc, etc. Rather than say, let's go to a Premier League wide meeting with 20 other clubs and 14 of them will agree to go with the same approach. I think for Everton, we're going to have to find to find something that Everton fans want. I don't know how that's possible or if if that's doable at all, but I think that for Everton fans, that's the best way in order to approach it. As for the games, it's difficult because I'm, I'm not sure how we will psychologically cope with no fans being there. We struggle with a third-round FA Cup tie at Liverpool. Psychologically, no fans there. Everton being twelfth in the league, safe from relegation, but I think a bit too a bit too far away for top six. I'm not sure how Guilty Sigerton turns around to play in that kind of game. But as for the whole feel of the game, I, I think it's just something that will the whole league will be playing by ear, but Everton will have to take a different approach. Just picking on what you said there, Owen. Um obviously we have we have read a bit in in the news in terms of what what they're saying in relation to it. And they are saying that there will be some kind of Premier League standard approach across the league. However, I think clubs have got some hope, have got some um, autonomy to do what they want in terms of putting out banners. Obviously, obviously the Bobblers have discussed openly about let's, let, let's do it the Everton way and let's get a loads of Everton banners. The fat groups, the Noel Rezismo yeah. banner, which is more important than ever with the Black Lives Movement. Uh, massive movements. Um, let's get it out there. Let, let's make it Everton. Uh, and I, I totally agree with you. We're not about cardboard cutout fans, and you know, let, let's not let's not worry about trying to do that. The fans aren't there, so let let let's just let take it straight on what it is. It's not a product about fans being in the stadium. It's a product about the TV product. I'm I'm going to sound like really frustratingly cringe when I say this, but. When when teams come to Goodison, we as a fan base try and make it as sort of like difficult and as like Everton as possible. 
if we have loads of like inspirational banners and all of that, and Everton songs like, but not like Skies, here we go, here we go, like proper Everton songs built into the stadium, we can give we can give her a bit of a presence and a bit of atmosphere that maybe other clubs will not have because they'll be following the Skies, uh, Skies approach and the Premier League's approach. I, I think there's another way around, and I think I think I have trust in the Premier League giving some autonomy to some clubs to be able to do their own thing. I, I hope that's what happens because at the end of the day, they have no other approach in terms of how clubs approach their own atmosphere. They don't say anything about you have to have a neutral singing yeah. section here. So I, I think I feel like if Everton approach it in their own way, then we can give her a bit more of a, a feel to it than maybe if we just... I don't know when, along with what every other club's doing. I've seen a couple of comments today on Twitter, and people were saying, like, uh, what are the fans for them saying? What are the fans for them doing? I mean, I think, I, I obviously, as part of that, I've been very vocal towards the club from day one about football, about fans, and about my concerns and, and the fans for and why the concerns about the health stuff and, and that, you know, it's the PPE, the lack of PPE to be on the front line. Um, we need... we. we it's happening now, whether we like it or not. It, as you say, we need to do things the Everton way. We want it to be unique to us. There does seem to be some like some kind of standard uh, standardisation being brought in. But I do think that I, I do hope that Everton have um, their own unique way of doing it. Um, they certainly know about it. We've fed it into the fan by the fans forum to the club directly. And I spoke to them a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, go back about three weeks ago now tell them about doing it the Everton way. I, I'm not trying to replicate fans because it's not about that at this present time. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And one last thing, though. This isn't me saying I won't be able to watch the game unless it's, it feels that as similar as possible. I'd be very happy for there to be absolutely nothing. No no commentator and just there in the <laughs> groans of footballers. But I realise... I realise that's not for everyone and it has to be a player you know in the stadium. <laughs> I, I, I go I with that. tactic nerds like me who just look at the players' movement. People want to... I, mean, I want the five most negative blues to, to be be like live, slating everything that goes on. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I, I, I actually got asked by the club to do uh, to be part of the virtual fan wall. Uh, and I turned it down. Yeah. It's not really my thing. I've got, I've got a... I've got a face for radio. Um, I've got a voice for radio, but you know it's just not my thing. But uh, I think Mikey from from the Wobblers is doing it. Um, he, he can chat life live a lot more than I can. Um, but I think there's there's something going on there. I don't know how quite how it's going to look. There's talk about uh, when the players run out that they might have some music. So my suggestion is if Nias is coming on, we might put on a "We Don't Need Another Hero" Thunderdome like. Oh, I just I, I give up if 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 we end up where where they're playing music like I've seen online where they're playing music for substitutions or yeah. after goals, then there's once we do that if if we let them do it now, there's no going back next year and that is what we'll be getting and. At the moment, it'll only be 
it'll be played. I think it'll just be played for the television audience. I I'm don't actually sure they'll play it in the stadium because we're going yeah, to get crowd noise. Out, I believe where I don't have to listen to that. It's I'd not going to be played in the crowd. I'd it's just going to be for us. Listen to Nigel Pearce and Shadow and Troy Deeney. Well, I, yeah, I agree. Fake sound I just want to be able to press a button that says fuck off Gilfie Sigurdsson every five minutes and I can <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh... well I just just going back to the likes of Sigurdsson what, what Owen said it's before yeah. um, the, the potential impact of there being no crowd I wonder whether someone like him might actually benefit from it because he did seem to, to, to look for the last 12 months or so like he was playing with the weight of the world on his shoulders. And even if he plays, because I, I've, I've got a sneaky feeling that Anthony Gordon might, might get a no, start. It, it's a good point. But, uh, and we kind of touched on it on the last play, podcast with yeah, um, I wonder whether it will benefit him um, to, to be playing behind About the doors. effect of, of not having... Gareth Valley's talk, talked about it a couple of times recently, about sometimes he, he, he yeah. didn't even want the ball. He felt that under pressure. Um so it definitely does have an effect on players and, and certainly the under-23 players will be used to playing it in the environment where there's no fans there. So, you know, you, if you, anyone's seen that 11 versus 11 game the other day, um, Gordon was certainly standing out for me yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Markello as well, where, you know, it, it makes me wonder, are we better off playing them as opposed to playing some of the players who, who've got that, the weight of the world on the shoulders? So it's it's yeah. after after three months away from the game. It's it's. Well, I, I think it's just impossible for anyone to judge because there's no form to go off. I, I think you've got anyone, and that that goes for both sides. I know that. Um, but I think and there's a lot of people being saying just throw the kids the out there reasons. and that kind of stuff. But we're still so four points off Europe. Uh, a lot of teams to play, and whether off. we like it or not, Carlo Ancelotti isn't going to be about putting the kids out there. And we're still not oh, on no, that, that. That is true, also. <laughs> but you know, Carlo Ancelotti hasn't made a career of success by saying we're we'll, we'll just having a bit of a laugh and throw a load of kids out. You better believe that's going to be treated serious. And John Blaine made a good point last week saying about uh, maybe we're getting so many yeah. injuries because we've realised yeah, that fitness so is going to play a big part. So we're really pushing the players, uh, which might be a possibility. Now, in terms of team news, we've got. Gomez has all of a sudden become available, which we didn't expect. Uh, Delph and Mina seem to be touch and go, but I wouldn't rush them back, personally. We'll go on to that. Um, we don't want another Gabamon. You know, if they're not fit, they're not fit. Don't rush them back. And Walcott's out, mm. so we've got a bit of a problem on the right. Um, so, what we'll talk about, and I know and you, you're yeah, the master agreed. of this, mate. I, I, I really do believe that. Um, <laughs> Liverpool, they've been beat three times this year and by three teams that have all took a similar approach, which are Napoli, Atletico Madrid and Watford. I'd like to have your thoughts on that, yeah. that, that specific subject. So we, so we have a look at Napoli, Watford, um, Atletico and just for the, I know they didn't take any, any points off them, but I think one of the best performers against Liverpool this season where I saw was um, Crystal Palace at Salers Park. Palace lost the game 2-1. But there's a there's a, um, all 
a, a very similar theme that goes through all three. Each and every one of them defends. They may not attack and their general shape might not be this, but all of them defend in a 4-4-2. So Atletico are the prime 4-4-2 team. They played it for years, so they used to play in that. Napoli under Ancelotti, I believe, did play 4-4-2. Um, Wofford don't play a 4-4-2, but as if you did read my tactics blog, it isn't. These aren't plugs now. These have got to stop. <laughs> but if you read it, the defending a 4-4-2 with Decore and Dini sort of pressing as the first line and then <laughs> the back two banks of four. And Crystal Palace that day also played a 4-4-2 with Max Meyer at the left, Zaha and Ben Teche up front. So that tells me that there's something to be at in this 4-4-2, the way we're playing against Liverpool. Now, I'm not saying that we're playing the 4-4-2, so we're going to win. Obviously, the Liverpool have beaten the likes of Burnley this year by not playing a 4-4-2. Brighton played a 4-4-2 of sort of a diamond against them, and they beat them. The, the, the way is how we close off the space between their midfield, their full-backs and the front three. The problem we will have is that if we play the same way as we did in the FA Cup in January, we allowed far too much space between their midfield and attack. And now I know they were only kids, but they were hungry to win the ball back and get it forward. We played quite ponderously through defence and midfield. And I think after that game, Carlo went a bit more direct against Watford and Brighton and um, West Ham than he did from them first three, get first four games where we played a lot more of a slow build-up. I think he learned from them that we aren't a very good team in ball possession and we need to get the ball forward a lot quicker. What I would say is the 4-4-2 gives us the best possible chance of defending without the ball, getting the ball forward quickly, especially with our front two, who like the ball being played into the chest and into the channels. And if we get the best possible midfield out there, I don't see there's a reason why we cannot try and get at least a point from the game by being diligent and just doing the off the ball work really well because Liverpool's midfield three whilst they aren't terrible they're, they're not Man City in terms of passing ability if you sit behind them I do think there'll be an element of struggle to continuously find a way in behind you as they showed versus Atletico and Whoppers I think the we we've got no chance if we start playing them at their game we'll just we'll be destroyed because what they'll do then without the atmosphere, without the intensity, they'll just pick us off. I think if we play more pragmatically, then there's a bigger chance of us getting something. And this isn't me just sort of saying we every week we should play pragmatically because I like that way. No, it, I just think for this game, it gives us the best possible chance well, of getting something. I, would, I couldn't agree with you more. And I've been an absolute sado. Um and re-watched uh, Napoli's game 12 months ago and Napoli's game this year. Madrid and Watford's right. game. Um, <laughs> and these are the notes that are made from the games. Uh, first of all, the Napoli games, they seem to press high in the first half, try to force the ball into the channels, mm-hmm. and he defeated the crosses. Obviously, got Koulibaly yeah. in the centre, which is a massive bonus. Um, yeah. He creates uh, what we probably call the, the tacticians as a block cage. In the vulnerable areas in front of the defence, yeah. where the centre midfielders have dropped into vulnerable the vulnerable positions in defence, 
and Hunter half have been aware of that. Yeah. Um, and second half, the the, the adapters in the, the the leg most recently, um, to to dropping a lot deeper. Obviously, in the first half, they pressed a lot higher, forced the ball into the channels into Trent and, and Ashley Robinson, and that kind of changed in the second half. Athletic Madrid, the note that remains yeah. is that they were vertically compact. Um, they they shuffled across as a four four two, and again they they worked the tactic of playing it into Trent and. Uh, Robinson and dealing with the crosses, particularly Old Black was was amazing in that game. But we'll try kind to come on to that because we haven't got our black and gold. But we'll, we'll, probably, we'll probably do a decent derby performance from Jordan Pickford at some stage. Uh, yeah. Really <laughs> um, so the centre backs attacked aggressively. Um, I, I, and to be fair, they, they, they tended connect. to exploit the, the, the space that was left in behind with, with Liverpool's wing, uh, well, I say wing backs, but full backs. Um, Waffers were the same. They were 4 4 1 1. The old ostrich is, is a lot more wily than people give them yeah. credit for. But again, they had the low block system and 4 5 1 in defence. Troy Deeney allowed the centre backs possession because he hasn't got the energy levels to keep that up for 90 minutes. But they dropped to Kuhn's that kind of free roll. Them. And again, he kind of formed that role. So if Rubinho couldn't get the ball comfortably in centre mid, so they had to push it out wide. Again, dealt with the crosses. A bit unattractive. But obviously, it was they're getting there and thereabouts. Troy Deeney was knocking the centre-halves around and they were getting products off runners that were coming into the box. Uh, obviously, Ismaili Saar that mm-hmm. got in behind a couple of times, which were direct balls from the back line. Um so where I'm coming from it really is that if you look at some of them teams, we're not them teams, but we, we've got some aspects that we can utilise uh, and something that we can learn from. I yeah, I agree to I agree to a point on that we're not them teams, but I think what you have found with Ancelotti here, Everton, he's been a lot more flexible than what Marcus Silva has. Ancelotti. Across his career, has been a manager for dominated games at every club he's been at. But at Everton, actually, at times, I think the best example of this was at home to Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are naturally a low block team. They defend deep to get the balls into the channels and all of that. But Everton actually had 47% possession against yeah. Crystal Palace that day, defending quite deep. So we're not naturally a team that. You know, air balls out of our own box, but we we have been known to defend quite diligently. It's been in games against, um, I think the first half against Watford, where we had something like sixty-two in the first half, where we've struggled more the more we've had the ball. I think I would go as far as to say if we have any more than forty percent possession in the derby, we would struggle to get a result because that will mean we've had to chase the ball. It's a great point you make, Owen. If you look at the two tactical formations, probably the four four one, uh, the four four one one, and the four four two. There's merit in both. Um, now, the only the only adaptations I'd make, I think the back four picks itself. I don't think we can place a Dave at right back. Um, I think Coleman's got to be the given there, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think the way he's dealt with Zaha. Sorry, yeah, when you've gone quite low there. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you hear me now? 
Yeah, I was just saying Seamus Coleman. I would play Seamus because he's got that Premier League know-how. He his positional plays a lot better than Sadibi. No, he, but he's no by means the perfect right back. But I just think for this game, and I would say all the games left, I just think he gives us a bit more balance and defence in terms of keeping keeping his shape in that. Uh, I agree. You know, I, I think Coleman is the uh, the obvious choice there, and. The back four kind of picks itself. Obviously, Keane Holgate have got to play there. Uh, and then... Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're still there? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the big decisions really happen for me in midfield. Um, now, I think if we, go, if we go with a 4-1-1 one, one, and we want to play that kind of Watford's way, we could actually play with a loose Richarlison mm-hmm. in midfield. Where he almost picks two Ray roll up because his, yeah. his high work rate, his intelligence, his ability to get in behind. And we've seen actually away from this, we've seen City were, were able to overload Liverpool that right back position where they played a quick ball and they played you know, D, DCL can float out to that kind of right hand side with Richardson getting there, the Wobi getting there with his intelligent pass. Um, and we can almost overload that position. Um, so I think that's a potential, you know. People might not like this, but I think we could actually play Gilfie Sigurdsson on right midfield. Yeah, we possibly could. I think I think the reason why Carlo played Gilfie there. So mate, you've got quite low again. So weren't perfect in the... Yeah, that might Can you hear me? Yeah, so I was saying the reason I, I think, yeah, you might be right that he might play Gilfie Sigurdsson there is because that against, um, I know that we weren't perfect against Man U and Arsenal, I think, obviously Chelsea, but what Gilfie Sigurdsson does in the wing uh, wide areas is he drops quite narrow, he goes into space in the middle, defensively and offensively, and he'll be able to cut out the passing lane from their midfield to the to um, the front. He can help also. with that gate in front of the back too, Carney, or the back, you almost become a back uh, six there. Um and he's also that he's got that quick release ball, hasn't he? Upfield, um, which you know is yeah. synonymous with him and the fact that he can score goals. The other choice is obviously we may go over four four two and play with Charles and then use Moise Keane. Um, obviously it's mm-hmm. something being talked about because we are struggling to to find someone who can play right in the field who's sufficiently at the right age in the right time. <laughs> So, Richardson for me w- wouldn't be a bad choice either. You know, Moise King could effectively do what he done, where he just is a big pain in the ass for Virgil Van Dijk, drags him round. He's unpredictable. Uh, if you just said to him, drag him around mm-hmm. the pitch, get try and get him around the channels and, and occupy him, I think King could probably do that. And I think he, he, Rich Vayner thought. So, I, I'm in two minds. Obviously, and, and I don't know what your thoughts are, are, are on this as well, mate. What do you think? Just, just on what you were saying. Well, I can't comment on the the, the tactical side of the teams that have played against Liverpool because I, I genuinely never watched them. Um, I feel like I'm some sort of jinx, so I never do watch them. So I can't really talk about the the success that the other teams have had against them. But you were talking then about like trying to give Van Dijk some trouble. Now I know he's not troubled by many, but you said Moyes Keane. I I I'd think it'd be more Calvert Lewin. If if anyone was gonna 
be able to drag him around the pitch a little bit and maybe bring him out of position. It would be Calvert Lewin up front yeah. to, to to busy Van Dyke. And I still think there is a place for Keane to to be picking up the bits then, as a as a result of the chaos yeah. caused. If if we can obviously keep some sort of sustained pressure, it's it's the midfield that that, that really is the worry for me because well, I was thinking about it today I, I, and. I'm trying to think, let alone right midfield. I think you're looking it's, it's at the centre as well for me. And then but I'm just not sure where he's going to go. Exactly. I just don't think there's enough bite. I just don't think there's enough bite in, in, in the tackle to, to, to keep winning the battles and keep us on the front foot. I don't, I don't think there's enough I think, bite I think there's, there's a danger that they'll get overrun in midfield. And that's, that's where my main concern is. A few weeks ago. It isn't as much as Gomez's ability to move the yeah. ball forward. I just really worry about Gomez's ability. If he, he's put the yeah. emphasis on defending that back four, he does he does struggle in like the bite of the game, as you just said. That kind of stuff, the off the ball stuff, he really struggles. That's why I think you might see a Gomez, Davis, yeah. and um, well, Sigurdsson midfield three. Richarlison, Keane and Calvaluna sort of like a fluid front three to sort of match them. I know that doesn't give us the best offensive system, but I think it allows us to match them in midfield. Yeah, I think yeah. that might be something we see. I did, I did wonder if Mina was, was to be fit. I did wonder whether he'd, he'd uh, consider moving Holgate into midfield. No, I, not I think, to be fair as well, against, against sure Liverpool, be, uh, they're that kind of fast moving anyway. up front. I wouldn't want... I, I do get the low block stuff, but I wouldn't want me and Keane in, in the back two against them. Um, no. So, I mean, if you look at what we've seen, so the three sides that have beat them... No, 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 me neither. The, the kind of common theme is the keepers had a good performance... So Jordan Pickford will have to have a good performance he's away because we know that they're going to create chances and they're going to have key opportunities and a lot's going to be on the keeper. You know, he's fighting his demons. Pickford at times, he's obviously got a bit of ability, but that's a big question mark, isn't it, lads? Um, the low block, the, the, the low block kind of thing. Uh, we've got obviously Mick Keane, who's well used to that. Um, Holgate, I think, can do it. He can deal with crosses. I'd fancy him against Firmino winning crosses. Uh, the centre mids are definitely an issue, aren't they? As you discussed then. Um, maybe we do go with Gomez and Davies just because simply maybe they've formed an all-right partnership at some stage and, and can pass the ball and Gomez can get a grip of them. I don't think we should put Gilfie in there, personally. No, not in the midfield too, no. I just don't. I just, he has played in a four four two at Iceland, and towards I think did he play? I think he he played under Paul Clement or um, Swansea, and they were they did defend quite deep in a four four two then. So he is well used to playing in a four four two. It's just I I I think it's more towards like an, a will to keep the opposition out with Gilfie. I just don't think he works hard enough. I know that might surprise some people because he does seem and he works hard. But to touch the ball about twenty-two times a game, he just no, doesn't. I, I agree, and we'll, we'll no doubt have Icelandic statistician giving us loads of credit after this. Yeah, and, uh, Black um, you know he's obviously a very thoroughly nice gent. He just 
in a way which can be Sigurdsson which is understandable yeah. he can't be that much of a nice gent to be blocking me um, so in terms of intelligent forward lines I think we've got quite a, an intelligent front two um, so we you know we to yeah. beat Liverpool I think we need an intelligent front two I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin is you know under Koeman he's played right wing back he's played left wing he's played up front you know, he, the, the, the lads, obviously, from a very early age, but, you know, good managers of, of good ex-players realise he, he's an intelli- intelligent lad. Um, you know, he's now added the goals to his game and Richardson, I think, is a sneaky bastard and really understands the game at a higher level. I think we've got, uh, you know, an intelligent front too, haven't we? Yeah, definitely. They do link up very well. They know each other's game very well too. And I think that might help us against... Liverpool's defence, especially if Trent and Robertson push on very high. Dom and... I've got to, we've got to stop this scent business, boys. That's twice now I've heard, I've heard him call by his first name. He's like right Alexander-Arnold in this house. <laughs> right. Love it. <laughs> That, so, that even better, even so, better. Um, Liverpool's right back and Liverpool's <laughs> left back push so high. I think Calvert Lewin and Richarlison can find space either side of them, which opens up some space in the middle to Gomez to run into. Also, I think that might be something we we look to do: push the two strikers out wide and find some space in the middle if it's a Sigurdsson or a Gomez to run into, which we did against Arsenal away. Uh, Richarlison and um, Cavalloon pressed either side of, I think it might have been Luis and Mustafi, and then through the middle was Sigurdsson who pressed, and we had some joy for some time. We just didn't get a break with finishing our chances, and that. Um, could we use any of the young lads like to Markello? You know, could he actually come in and uh, and do a bit of a running towards the ends, or or do you not see that? Do you think we should be strict in terms of who we use in that that game? I, f- I think if it's to be anyone, it would be Benny Beningami to show the midfield up in the last 20. I don't think he'll use anyone who hasn't already played first yeah. team minutes. He does seem Gordon, doesn't he? Oh, Gordon as well, maybe, to, maybe for fresh legs. Gordon right. or Beningami, I don't think Markello or is it Ryan Astley and that whole, I don't think any of them. Uh, I think, Andy, we're going to come in there. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if Beningamy's fully fit and he seems to have been involved a lot lately, I think he's definitely the one who, who could be involved in that centre midfield, even if it, if it had to be from the beginning. Because we were talking about not having any bite in there. It may be that it, it's too much too soon because the lad hasn't played for a long time uh, in the first team. But he did show that if if the ball's there to be won, then he's more than happy to go in and try and, and try and win it. And and it's it's keep as I said before, for me, it's keeping us on the front foot. That with, with Idris again, since Idris again went, that that for me is what we obviously no, got Bannon was brought in to do that job. And we've we've not been able to see it, but we 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 don't break down the attack from the opposition quick enough to to get us on the front foot to to, to cause problems. It's they're coming right onto us before we 
possibly win the ball back by the time it gets to Holgate or Keane or someone like that. We've got to then make our way the full length of the pitch before we, we create any threat of our own. And it's got to be that. I know we've got to respect the opposition and, and I don't want us to be to be gung-ho in any way, shape or form. But I also want us to try and impose ourselves a little bit because Owen talked about that wasn't it? FA Cup game against their kids. And that, for me, that was that was probably one of the lowest moments. Watching this team not have not have any balls, it was that, and I, I, I can't abide the idea that you know, with Ancelotti having been here now for however long it is, that they will still go out and perform. You, you know like what I seen a couple of bottles. It was a few years uh, back now, Andy. I was watching the. Um, There's no other way for it. Like the under seventeens like like or under eighteen derby, and uh, <laughs> I was speaking to to Lee and Big Al Mitchell on the Bobblers. Um, about the game and uh, Tom Davies came on at the time and I think it was one of his first games at that level about uh, 70 minutes through and we were getting beat and the first thing he'd done he'd come on and rattled someone in the centre fucking it was absolutely a fucking outrageous challenge um, it was fucking great like uh, but it was an outrageous challenge you know what I mean and um, he got a book yeah. and, and he ended up um, I don't know if he scored or got an assist I, I said to them straight away, he's going to fucking end up in the first team. Man. It was the first time I'd seen him. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just knee plays. And it's not a question no, of... No, I would recommend it. And dogs of war and kicking people and all that. It's not just that. But we, we've got to have... Although I would, obviously, yeah. But we've got, we we need some of that. Like you, you, we've all seen Howard's way lately, and we need some of that that sort of that, that bite and that spirit in the in the side. Oh, no, no, you're right. You're right. Book them. Let's get into them. Fight. Fight. Like fight. And we can go all <laughs> Peter Eden, Brian Marwood. But, and for the remit. But yeah, but get, but go after yeah. them. Go after them and try and. Try and cause them problems and not, not, not let it all just sort of seem like the inevitable. Where we, we do get into that mode where it's a question of just waiting until rather than wondering what we can go and impose on them. And as I say, they're, they're undoubtedly a, 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 a good side. There's no getting away from that as much as it sticks in the throat. But they're not um, going to be to no, As Owen's Watford, explained there, with Napoli and, and Watford and again, Sheffield United, he said. Very well. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think West Ham gave them problems. I think they were lucky. It was was it one of the Villa games as well? So it, it's it, it's not impossible, but I think for Evertonians, I think at times we convince ourselves that it is, and uh, whether that transmits to players, I don't know. But it it, it sometimes feels yeah. like we go in already beaten. You know what I mean? And it's that that I, I need to. I'm hoping. That's where Ancelotti comes in. And can instill, oh, don't do it. It's going to be another half an hour. <laughs> and it, it probably goes on to like all these links this week You're with nice. uh, Thiago Silva. I know. <laughs> but all, all those people like who, who've got opinions. No, I've been, I've been. Poor Andy, who's El, El Pivis on Twitter, has had me messaging them both like last couple of days. And uh, Owen has also got it about me wanting um, Thiago Silva. As for... And 
As I say, I'm not the, that, that I particularly want him, but if, if Ancelotti's identified him and it's not just um, some random signing, I don't know who'd be making that decision. But if Ancelotti wants him because he's worked with him before and maybe he needs a, a, a Richard Goff. Right, so, this, this podcast what, is probably going to go on longer than uh, we normally do, but so be it. Right, this is my view on it, Andy, and I totally so agree. Uh, we may go on for the next 15 minutes and anticipate it. Um, Right, I think it, firstly it's unfair to call Thiago Silva Richard Goff. However, <laughs> yeah, the principle of having someone who's experienced has always is, actually resonated with it. Um, also, I, I also see people talking about it on Twitter, suggesting that he's going to be on two hundred and fifty grand a week and all this kind of stuff. Um, we've had Paul and John Blaine. Um, well, Dieska and John Blaine both on on uh, our podcast talking about the likelihood of uh, of a crash in terms of transfer fees. So I'm not having that someone who's 35 is going to be anywhere near on 250 grand a week. Going to be, they're going to be on the least affairs of that, if nothing else. Um, you talk about motivations, this fella might think, well, all right, well, Carlo Ancelotti... He spoke highly of when he first came through AC Milan. Franco Baresi and Nesta praised him. And he's a once-in-a-generation centre-half. In fact, when he signed for uh, PSG, he actually said to them, I want to play an extra Brazilian centre-half. PSG could have signed any centre-half in the world at that time with their money. But they wanted Thiago Silva. And as a result, they signed Marquinhos. And then they signed uh, David Lebez for a ridiculous fee just to have a Brazilian centre-half next to him. Um, yeah. Now, this is a one-off. He's not just any old 35-year-old defender. <laughs> and whilst I, I, I get the, the David Gosling, and this is not at you, uh, Andy, um, this is just a one-off fella that who is, uh, you know, the last decade he's been one of the best centre-halves out there and he can still fucking run. You better believe it. You know, he, he's a top centre-half. Um, there's not many players that can play at that age. Ibrahimovic, Ronaldo have been a couple. Everyone doubts that Ibrahimovic could have an effect on the Premier League. But I see and I see him at Goodison fucking taking balls down on his neck and, and us just watching him. Um so and he did, yeah, I'm he not exactly right. I'm putting my neck on line. I reckon he'd be a, a fucking brilliant side at the right price. If the price isn't right, then I'm sure Marcel Brands will walk away from it. And let's put it out there because I know Owen is now gonna say to me. He's not right, the right player at the right time. But what I would say as well, I think we'll sell Keane from one of theirs. And I also think we'll get someone in a loan, such as Tabiza or Zuma, which will give us forward at the back. Right, OK. Can you hear me, by the way? No, I don't course, know if there's any sound issues. Right, so, OK, I'm not, as a principal, against signing yeah. 35-year-old centre-backs. I know you talked about speaking to Andy before uh, El Pivotti on Twitter that he's, he's against signing 35-year-old centre-backs. I'm not. Well, I am, but not for the reason that he is the, the, the sell-on. And that. that is one issue that if we do sign Thiago Silva, there is no sell-on value and we are already up to our next in with FFP. Add another 35-year-old centre-back on it more short-termism. I don't really see how that does the club any benefit. But I know you said before Thiago Silva can still run, but at a Premier League level for 90 minutes every week, can he? Because I I, I do worry that we sign a 35-year-old centre-back 
we're just signing another centre-back that can't defend in space, another centre-back that will reduce us to the edge of our own box. Whereas if we sign a Kertzuma, a Gabriel, to Debo, I'm not really convinced with, to be honest, but a defender who's quick, then that will give us more options in the final third who can recover rather than signing another centre-half that will just have us defending deep. And I'm not against that as a principle, but come Christmas, you'll know Everton fans are moaning <laughs> we're defending too deep and that we're not getting out of our own box. And we're playing, who we play? We're playing Villa Row, Everton, aren't we? We shouldn't be on the edge of that's, our own box. I'm not against that, but you know what the Twitter rats yeah. will be like on Twitter. So I think we need a midfielder, like you said before, with a bit of bite and also a centre-back who can recover, like we had with Adrissa Gay and Kertuma. I'm not saying you're wrong, saying Silva will come in and be brilliant, and if Ancelotti wants him, then fine. But I just think it limits us. Not, I'm not saying Silva's like Michael Keane, he isn't, but I just think it's more of the same old type of centre-back, not quality, but type of centre-back, which we need to move away for, from Evangelosi's to truly get hold of what he wants from Everton as a team on the front I agree, uh, Owen, in terms of what you're saying there, and Andy will be cursing now, because I've been, I've been arguing, we've been discussing on WhatsApp about this, um, and he doesn't think that we can keep four centre-halves on the wage bill. Um, I might be with you looking at FFP as mm. a larger scale. Paul Diesk is also on that chat as well. So, you know, Paul obviously weighs in on, on the financial front. But obviously, for me, you need two players in every, every position. I do think that Europe is still four points off. And I do think if we're in Europe, we need two, two players in every position. What I'd like to see is two blockers at the back. So, for me... Thiago Silva and Mina would be ideal. I think he coached Mina as well and, and, and the teacher the way he is. Uh, and then I'd like to see us bring in Zuman on loan. So for me, we then have um, two fast centre-halves or quick cross-the-floor centre-halves, which would be Zuma and also Holgate. And then we'd also have uh, Mina and uh, Silva. The argument would be is how do you keep them happy? My, my answer would be Carlo Ancelotti. And the fellow knows to trickle through about our large squads at big clubs and keeping people happy and keeping them directors. Certainly, we read his book, this book, the yeah, you know, quiet leadership. Um, I just think for me, if you if your centered half is not right, then the team's not right. And I play centered half, um, but I, I think that you need leaders there, you need leaders, you need leadership, you need people that, that, that fight at the back, people that know what they're doing. And we, we, you know, he could really add some real value. Wouldn't sign him anywhere near the quotes that are being mentioned. So if it, if it is that walk away, uh, and yeah, we're not too far away. I think we're just slightly different in the way we see it. No, I, I, don't, I understand completely what you mean. Bringing in someone with a big reputation, a big personality, to come into the dressing room and sort of shape how we go along. I, I just think. Again, to bring the tactic side up, I just think it doesn't really expand our options tactically. And I think with the FFP stuff, instead of bringing in a centre-back, who Thiago Silva will be on more wages around than Michael Keane, I imagine. If, if you compare the two deals, I think if we're going to have a stopper to put at the back, I, I think for a financial side, I, I think they would go for Keane and Mina. 
in that that's not to say that that's what should happen. I just think from a financial point of view, I can see that as a way of going. I do, I, but I don't equally think Michael Keane will be at Everton next season. So I don't know how it's going to work out. But I would like to see a bit more of a dynamic contest. Yeah, if he comes in, we we it doesn't solve the problem as such, does it? We we still need an additional centre half, basically. So it's it's a question mark whether we have three or four centre halves. I I I agree in the sense that I don't see us keeping four centre halves on the way to Bill. I think it'll be Mina and Holgate. I personally would have Lewis Gibson sell Michael Keane as like Gibson as a youth option, and then I would go and get I would look here to him, but someone of that ilk. I, that's how I would do it. Again, it's only my opinion. I, I would claim to be right. I wouldn't double down on your opinion, it. mate. It's valuable. We're, all opinions are valuable. Andy, just just I know you've been quiet on that that point. Um, <laughs> I, I was quiet because I was listening to both of you. So, even though when, yeah. when you were disagreeing, I was agreeing with you both. So it's uh, I'm I'm more confused than when I started. I, I still I still think in terms of what you were saying, if you can get someone to come in and and take charge there at the back and 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 be that leader, whether whether it be Silver or whether it be someone else that he brings in. For me, that that's that's the start of everything. That that's where you you base everything from from you, from your keeper. You want that spine, which traditionally people talk about. But I always think uh, yeah. a nice strong centre half. Like look at the difference it's made to the other shower when they've got someone in to compose the rest of the defence and, and calm everyone down. It, it's made a huge difference. And whether he's the right person, I, I don't know. But he's he's obviously identified as a free transfer. And if he's affordable, if it fits, I, I don't get involved in the, the, the financial side of things. I, I really don't take any interest because it's not me who's paying them. And if we can find ways around rules, then so be it as far as I'm concerned. But he would be good. I don't see Keane long term, not not for, a, not for a minute. I think Mina, yeah. I think Holgate, yeah. <laughs> and if it was to be silver, like you were talking there about, I don't know, we're playing Aston Villa Road at Christmas. Then he he he, do, he doesn't have to play. He he doesn't. We we get away from this idea that we've just got eleven, and they have to start every week. And if if someone happens to not be playing, it's because they dropped. It, it it doesn't always have to be the case that we can have situations where there's there's horses for courses, and there's games where the likes of of him as a as you call it a stopper before. That's that's what what suits us, or that's what we need for that particular set of games, run of games that we might have. But Zuma, <laughs> I was gutted when he left. But whenever I watched him while he was back at Chelsea, at times he looked like he was wearing roller skates. So I'm kind of saying I'm very much <laughs> as, as confused as yeah. I was before I started the uh, before I even mentioned Thiago Silva. Yeah. Just so one I, more thing, though. I'm going to have to bounce to Ancelotti again, aren't I? Just, just leave it with Different him. views on what to do long-term with Lewis Gibson. But I think if you have a Thiago Silva who's 35, 36, if, if we're in limited times in terms of what we can do with transfers, well, then I would rather give a pathway in the first team to Lewis Gibson 
who's been performing very well at Fleetwood by all accounts, than just have another thirty-six-year-old centre back on the books. That's just my opinion. I mean, honestly, I, I do get where you go with that, Owen. And um, I, I would personally loan Lewis Gibson and Jared Braithwaite to go to good clubs next season. Um, and I would expect we would only sign Thiago Silva with twelve months. So not this two years and, and massive contracts, but we'll see. You know, it, it's a conundrum, isn't it? You know, it's it's something that we need to solve. And, and you would now expect, as you say, that, uh, Ancelotti and, and uh, Marcel Brands would, would have a grasp of that. Um, well, thank you, lads. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's not gonna, it's not going to be the uh, last time. I'm sure you'll be back on again. I hope. No I hope next time. Which you know we're getting towards the time where we can do that. Um, yeah, sure. For anyone that's listening, thank you for still tuning in. Um, as always, we have a bit of a laugh, we have a bit of a joke, and yeah, hopefully you so. found some sense. And if there's one message today, it's sign up to be a bone marrow, be involved in the bone marrow transfer, whether it's through Anti Nolan or DKMS. Let's make a difference. Let's be Evertonians. And let's care about the people that we live in the same community with. See you later, lads. Cheers, mate. I hope everyone listened there and you can make a difference. We're going to finish with someone that talks about making a difference. And if we all look long and hard enough in the mirror, we can all do that. Sign off with DKMS or Auntie Nolan. Let's all make a difference together and let's look in the mirror.